I just wanted to mention something to you that, that uh, I had two people ask me about tonight, and so I thought, well, maybe I should, um, I should say something. Um, you, some, uh, somebody gets the notion that I am not returning to um, Europe in March. I had uh, one person ask me that, and then another person asked me about something similar. But anyway, um, I have been asked to go uh, to speak at a conference of university students in August, and I, uh, Lord willing, plan to do that. And there is a group that is gathering to go along and uh, do a, um, a construction project in Brno, Czech Republic. The dates are around the 15th to the 21st of, um, of August. If that would interest any of you, I would love to see you come. Dennis Wright is going to kind of head up a construction project on a building in Brno, Czech Republic. It's a quaint little place, um, um, and I would love to introduce you to all those things and, uh, that, that I so love and, um, and all those ministries. We would be able to spend some time with Ronnie Stevens in Budapest. It would just be a, I hope you will give it some thought. We'd love to have you come along. So grab your Bibles again, and let's go back to Romans chapter 8 and try to pick up the pieces. Um, um, that uh, that resulted uh, um, last week. Let, let me let me kind of remind you of what we did last week, and we'll kind of uh, hopefully pick up some steam as we go. Um, I know you don't remember a thing that I said last week because um, you know. Interestingly, the only comments that I've had to me tonight was, "Oh, wasn't that board funny?" Uh, you know, but so. Nobody, I mean, after I spend hours and hours, you know, trying to figure out what the text says and labor at making it clear, nobody remembers a thing about the text. Uh, all, they, all they remember is something about a piece of technology that I uh, can't run. But uh, actually, the most wicked man in the entire church is Andy Harvey, um, because he knew exactly... He knew exactly what I was, what was happening to me, knew exactly what the machine was doing, and refused to come up here and punch a button because he enjoyed every minute of my uh, stewing in, in that. I, I mean, he... <laughs> uh, well, so, uh, um, so let me remind you of kind of what we're, what we're up to. I want you to go back and look with me at verse 9 of chapter 8. Um, I'm not going to uh, do this again. I've done it enough, I hope. But you remember the, the opening promise of verse 1 is the theme of this section of Paul's letter to the Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation. That is his theme, at least in this section. And so he sets about to try and describe those people who have a right to claim this. That is, this marvelous comfort and assurance of having no condemnation awaiting me, to whom does that belong? Not everybody. And he describes them, uh, really beginning in verse uh, 5, and really going through the, really, verse 13, but we'll get to that later. But it is, it is important to Paul that people be able to lay claim of this, this marvelous assurance, but that the right people lay claim to it. And so he describes those people in, in several different ways. And he does something in verse 9 that he's hinted at earlier, but he, he kind of really opens the can of worms. Yeah, that's not right. He really opens the theme in verse 9. Let me read you verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, 
Because people in the flesh don't have a right to that promise of verse 1. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Or he doesn't. Some of your translations will say uh, he doesn't belong to Christ. Um, Belonging to Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is what this is all about. Belonging to Christ. Now, who is it that belongs to Christ? Uh, and then, and thus can lay claim to that um, verse 1 promise. Those who belong to Christ are people who are in the Spirit. All right? Now, that, that little simple prepositional phrase has caused a good deal of confusion. And I said to you last week that much of the confusion was wrought by some some well-meaning uh, uh, well-meaning emphasis known as the neo-pentecostal movement but i think it's left you with a fair degree of confusion about what it means to be in the spirit because ladies and gentlemen you'll notice here if you're not in the spirit if you have not the spirit of christ you don't belong to jesus so it's a fairly important distinction that is what does this mean and so you might recall um, that i introduced to you pneumatology remember that Uh, I said there were seven different branches of systematic theology, and one of those branches is pneumatology. It is the study of the Spirit's work. And so what I set out to do last week is begin to introduce to you the the Spirit's work, not because I want to talk to you about pneumatology, ladies and gentlemen, but because the text demands it. The text says, uh, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. What is that? And if you are not in the Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. And so what I did last week is try to introduce you to um, this term pneumatology. And then, um, um, let, me, let me do, uh, I've, I've got this nice little diagram. Uh, the ministry um, of the Holy Spirit, which is pneumatology, P-N-E-U-M-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Um, and, and suggested to you out of a couple of texts in John, John 15, I believe, that primarily an over, um, a summary statement is that the, his ministry is to glorify the Son. All right? Now, so then what, we, what we're going to try to do tonight is take the two large branches of the ministry of the Spirit and make sure that we can distinguish those two. And all I'm trying to do is help you because I do believe some confusion exists. And I'm going to show it to you as we close. But um, so there are two large branches of his work. The one being uh, regeneration, which we talked about a bit last night, uh, last week. Uh, the, the work of the spirit known as regeneration. It, it's, it goes by other names. But ladies and gentlemen, um, what you see in Romans 8, 9 in the Spirit, that is, um, that is a reference to this. If you are in the Spirit, you are regenerate. Uh, now, again, uh, I, I, this, this same thing that we looked at in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, where, or do you not know that as many of us, as we're baptized into Christ... Gang, that's all the same thing. If you are in the Spirit, guys, uh, uh, it's, um, 
uh, a reference to the work of the Spirit that baptized you into Christ. Now, this work is not an ecstatic work. Do you know what that word means? Because this is where a lot of the confusion lies, guys. It's not an ex- That is, um, because of the Neo-Pentecostal emphasis, being in the Spirit has been represented as some kind of um, uh, spiritual, ecstatic, uh, emotional, subjective state. In which several things happen. No, ladies and gentlemen, this is not an ecstatic event. This is not subjective, but objective. Being in the, the, this, this work that Paul is alluding to in Romans 8 9 is not an emotional, subjective, uh, ecstatic, um, uh, paroxysm. It's referring to a transfer of your status and state and position. You were in the flesh, but you're now in the spirit. Um, this is the equivalent or the same thing as being baptized in the spirit. Now, guys... If you have been around the Neo-Pentecostal world, you know that word right there is used to describe something different than I'm describing. This being in the Spirit is the same thing as being baptized in the Spirit. It is not subjective. It is objective. You know, it, it is not an emotional outburst. Now, again, staying in this world of this, this regeneration work, the, the, the Scriptures also talk about uh, look with me in um, in First Corinthians chapter three. Maybe maybe I should just read this to you. But do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Okay, what I'm trying to do is just distinguish terms for you. Being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is a reference of being in the Spirit. Um. Uh, this, this, this work of the Spirit is um, associated with the beginning of one's spiritual existence. This is how everything started, guys. It's associated with new life, with new birth, with being born again. That's the, all that language is referring to this same work which is um, summarized in this one word. Regeneration. Guys, um, do you remember the um, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, which allows me to be as dramatic as I can possibly ever want to be? Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. Do you remember that? And you remember there was this valley of dry bones, and, and, uh, and um, uh, it's a long story, but uh, God does this work, and the bones join to the bones, and, and, the, and the flesh covers them. But the text says, and there was no life in them. So what happens is you're out in this valley, and there's all these bones, and God does this thing, and you don't have bones anymore. You have a bunch of cadavers you got a valley full of cadavers, but there's no life in them. And then he says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, 
prophesied to the wind, prophesied to the breath. Remember that? Um, if I really wanted to impress you. The, the, the Hebrew term is... Um, <laughs> ruach. It's a, it's a real guttural ruach. Gosh, I don't want to spit on you. Um, but, but guys, he's, God says, prophesy to the wind. Because we've got a bunch of bodies there that don't have any life in them. What is he asking for? He's asking for the, he's asking for the Holy Spirit to do his work of regeneration to bring these dead bodies to life. That's what regeneration is all about, gang. It is not to be confused with some kind of emotional experience. It is not an emotional experience. It's associated with your transfer of, out of one kingdom into the other. That's what Paul has in mind here. You're not in the flesh. You're here. This has happened to you. All right? Now, that's, that's a large branch of the Holy Spirit's work. It is, it is associated with the beginning of the Christian life. It's the thing that happens at the beginning that ultimately lands you in Christ. But then there's this other work. His work of sanctification. Now, guys... Um, this is not associated with the beginning. This is associated with the whole thing. I call it the, the, uh, the Christian life. is associated with this work of the Spirit known as sanctification. The whole of one's Christian experience is, is uh, referenced by this term sanctification. It's not referring to the beginning. It's referring to the whole thing. Um, the Holy Spirit has a work here, but He has another work that He that was begun here, but continues in this whole ministry of His in sanctification. Um, this um, this uh, good uh, synonym is growth, you know all that. But but stay with me, guys. This work of the Holy Spirit can indeed. Be subjective. This one isn't. This one can be. Doesn't have to be, but can be. For instance, the New Testament talks about a peace with God. Doesn't it? All right, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's have a test. Can you wake you up again? The New Testament speaks of a peace with God and a peace of God. All right. If you were going to put peace with God on one side of this little diagram, which side would you put peace with God? Would you put it on this side or this side? What's, this one? This one? That one. See, there we have a division in the house. I told you we have confusion. Guys, peace with God belongs over here. It refers to a, a status, a relationship. But the peace of God. You have that sometimes. And sometimes you don't have that. You know, sometimes you, you just sense God's sweetness. And there's a peace of God. But guys, I don't know of any of you. I don't think you would. Maybe you would. 
would say, I have that all the time. The peace of God. The peace of God is something that we hope will flood our souls in times of crisis. But peace with God refers to a reconciled state that was accomplished over here, gang. So, peace with God, peace of God. This can be subjective. That can't be. Um, this, this work of the Holy Spirit is repeated. Whereas this one is not. In fact, the word that causes a whole lot of confusion among Christians because of the repeating is the word fillings or being filled with the Holy Spirit. Gang, I can take you through the book of Acts and I can show you seven times where Peter was described as, and Peter, being full of the Holy Spirit, did X, Y, Z. And Peter, being full of the Spirit, you know, guys, there are times when you are and times when you're not. That's a repeated work. This is not a repeated work. The regenerative work of the Holy Spirit is, it happens only once, but this work of the Holy Spirit and sanctification happens all the time. Several times. Sometimes there will be real peaks. Sometimes there will be real valleys. Because on those real peaks, there is a, there is a dominance of the Holy Spirit like at other times is not present. You know, you can, um, you can act pretty dadgum carnal, can't you? On your way over here, when uh, that lady wouldn't, you know, go over 30 miles an hour, you were really not being filled. But you were still indwelt. You were st- all of this was still true of you. But this thing has its ups and its downs in the in the in the role of the, or the, the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Guys, another large subsection under his work in sanctification is under the word illumination. Now let me. The Holy Spirit is the grand illuminator. To what does He illumine us? Well, He illumines us to truth. He illumines us to sin. You know, guys, there are things that that, that you don't do now that you used to do and didn't call it sin. But in the course of your Christian experience, you have come to see it as sin. Where did that come from? Because the Holy Spirit took His Word and illumined it to such a way, in such a way that you were more conscious of sin than you were prior to that moment. That's His continuing, ongoing ministry of illumination in the life of the believer. He illumines us to truth. He illumines, he illumines us to a lot of things. Um, the comforts that are... That are um, uh, be anxious for nothing. And, and the Holy Spirit will take that and, and will minister it to our hearts and relieve us of some anxiety from time to time. Or fear. I mean, there's all kinds of comforts that He... But He is working as an illuminator in the life of the believer in the process of sanctification. You must not confuse this word and this word. Being baptized by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. The fillings of the Holy Spirit are repeated over the life of the believer. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is done once. 
And by the way, there's another word that Paul makes up. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 16 or so. But the word sealed is also used to describe the ministry, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul does seem to make a distinction between being regenerated and sealed. But they seem to be an act that happens simultaneously. But that's just another word that gets thrown into the discussion and creates an all kinds of confusion. Well, what about this one as opposed to that one? And that one opposed to this one over here? And this one that opposed? Gang, I'm just trying to demarcate for you. This is an act of God's free grace by which the Holy Spirit takes us from a kingdom of darkness and plants us in a kingdom of light. He takes us from the flesh and plants us in Christ. He takes us from that and baptizes us into Jesus. That happens once. But this stuff over here, oh my goodness. It comes, it goes, it's subjective. From time to time, I really feel wonderful as a believer at times. Other times I don't. But now here's my point, ladies and gentlemen, or one of my points is that this stuff gets really confused in our little minds. And, and that's why I've drawn this thing. I, you know, you wonder what I do in the morning? Actually, you can't imagine how much time I spent this morning just trying to think of a decent analogy, which I'm about to give you in a moment. But I, uh, because, you know, ladies and gentlemen, analogy, C.S. Lewis was the master of analogies. He would say, this is like that. Analogy is, is the is the, uh, the key to good communication. And so this morning, I sat at my desk and just tried to think of an analogy. I thought, I thought about building a house. No, that wouldn't work. I thought about being a resident. That is, a, a medical resident and not a doctor. I, that didn't work. I've come up with, a, with an analogy that I hope will help. But um, if you ever wonder what I'm doing, that's what I'm doing. I'm thinking about trying to make it as clear as I can possibly make it for you. But guys... This little thing here, this little diagram, don't confuse the baptism with the filling. Because the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so um, broad, may I say, there's a lot of words that are in the New Testament that we kind of mix all up. Okay, now guys, let me tell you how the confusion comes. Are you, are you ready? You want to see the confusion? I'll show you the confusion. Um, take your Bibles and, and keep your finger in that Romans 8 passage and, um, and turn up with me to Matthew 16. Now, I, I, hope to, I hope to leave you with an analogy which will clarify some things, I hope. We'll, we'll see. But this is the story in Matthew chapter 16 where, you know, Jesus is... Um, uh, he comes into Caesarea Philippi and he turns to his disciples in verse 13 and says, Who do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man, am. And notice in verse um, 14, they say, Some say you're Elijah, some say this, some say the other. And then Simon Peter stepped forward and answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember that? Now look at verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Okay, do you see that? <laughs> All right, if flesh and blood didn't reveal it to, to Peter, who did? 
Okay, tell me this. Uh, keep that in mind. Uh, run over to John chapter 20. I'm just trying to show you the confusion. John chapter 20, verse 22. John 20, 22, and you find these words. And when he, that is Jesus, had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Now tell me, had Peter not received the Holy Spirit before John 20? And if he had not received the Spirit prior to John 20, then who revealed this to him over in in Matthew 16? And to make it far worse, ladies and gentlemen, if they received the Spirit in John 20, what in the world happened in Acts 1 and Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out? Okay, then Peter is making this wonderful uh, declaration about who Jesus is. And Jesus says, well, you know, you, you didn't get that by yourself, Peter. It was revealed to you. By whom? They didn't even have the Holy Spirit, at least according to John 20. And to make it worse, ladies and gentlemen, if you look at Romans chapter 8, it says in verse 9, that the text that we're looking at, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Okay, hold on here. If you don't have the Spirit and you don't belong to Christ, and they got the Spirit in John 20 or maybe Acts 2 or somewhere, then what was Peter doing in Matthew 16 when he said all this wonderful thing and Jesus said, you didn't get that on your own? Okay, I tell you, let me give you another part of the confusion. Um, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. That's what it says in 8-9 right here. Well, what about those Old Testament people? Was the Holy Spirit operative in the Old Testament? Well, sure He was. Look at Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, um, beginning at verse 25, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took of the Spirit that was on him and placed the same upon the seventy elders. And it happened when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Uh, look at uh, verse um, uh, 29. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that the, all the Lord's people were prophesying, the Lord would put His Spirit upon, uh, upon all of them. All right, wait a second here. What is Moses asking for? He wants to, here's the Spirit operating back here. What happened in Acts 2 then? I thought the Holy Spirit didn't come until Acts 2. Well, who revealed that thing over there to Peter in Matthew 16? Well, what did Jesus do in John 20? What's going on here? Is he here or not here? Now, guys... A lot of the confusion can be eliminated if you understand something about the unfolding of redemptive history. Sleep yet? Guys, certain things had to happen before other things could happen. I mean, you've got to create the heavens and the earth before you can uh, have somebody on it, don't you? Some things just have to come before other things. 
And some people were living at a time when these things that were unfolding in a sequence were unfolding right in the presence of their own. So, so Peter gets caught in the unfolding of redemptive history. And, and many like Peter. The whole, all the New Testament believers. They, they are experiencing something, but it is redemptive history is unfolding in their lifetime. That's not true of you. Now, this is where I spent all morning long trying to come up with a decent analogy to try and help you understand what I'm saying. And this is the best that I could do. <laughs> so, um, humor me. Did any of you see the movie The Terminal with Tom Hanks? Did you see that movie? You didn't see that movie? Nobody saw The Terminal with Tom Hanks? Do you not like Tom Hanks? What's the matter with you? Are you communist? You didn't see the terminal. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Nisi. Yeah, right, you saw the term. Right, if you don't know, I've got to tell you the story about the terminal. His name is Victor, uh, Victor Noworski. <laughs> and, and, and Hanks was, I, I, Noworski. Victor Noworski. And, and Hanks was wonderful. But here's what happens. Victor Noworski is flying from his country. It's some Eastern European communist country. is flying to the United States, to, the, to JFK in New York City. While he is flying from his, his country, there is a coup that takes place in his country. And uh, by the time that he lands at JFK, his government has been overthrown. So as he is coming into New York City and passing through customs, his passport is in essence no good anymore. He is holding a passport from nowhere. And so... They, he comes through, and so they sets off the alarms, and all the people come and get him, and they say, well, he says, all I want to do is just go out there in New York City. I've got to go to some place. And they say, no, I'm sorry, you can't leave this airport. And he says, well, oh, my goodness, okay, then let me go back home. He says, no, you can't do that either. And, and the head of security at the, at the JFK calls him a bureaucratic glitch. That is that he can't leave, he can't go back, he can't go out, He's just caught. He is a man without a country, and he has to remain in that airport until his status is, uh, you know, cleared up. He has, a, he has a worthless passport because his country no longer exists. This war breaks out in his country. He can't go back to his country. And so there he lives in the terminal for, for months on end, and he scavenges a life out of, out of the terminal. Here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. Victor Noworski is caught in the unfolding of some historical events. Got it? And his situation is in no way to be viewed as normative. If someone were to ask you, how does it happen that you go through customs at JFK in New York, they would unfold for you a sequence of events that would, that would ultimately allow you to get into the streets of New York. But Victor Noworski was caught in the unfolding of some events that rendered him a man without a country. So, you cannot form your ideas of how customs in New York works by looking at Victor Noworski. Do you get it? <laughs> Don't use Victor Noworski 
as an example to help you understand customs and how you get through. Here's my point. Peter is like Victor. His life is situated in the midst of some unfolding redemptive history. So, what you see unfolding, or what you see going on in Peter's life, is in no way normative. When you're trying to understand what happens to a non-Christian who becomes a Christian, don't use Peter. If you're trying to find out how you go through customs, don't use Victor Navorsky. Because he was caught in this this rapid-fire development in his country, and, and Peter is caught in the unfolding of redemptive history, primarily the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the 50 days that follow, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Peter is living in the midst of all of that. Consequently, you cannot use Peter to try and help you understand the normative, operative work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Did you get it? So, gang, let me tell you the normative. This is the normative work of the Holy Spirit. This is how He operates normally. He takes a dead man, like us, that is, a dead spiritual man, and He brings him to life through this work of regeneration. As a result of that work, uh, a, 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 um, a person, having been regenerated, recognizes his sin and his need for a Savior, he, he lays hold of Christ by faith, and in that act of laying hold of Christ by faith, the man is justified. Having been justified, he is also baptized into Christ, and is thus in the Spirit. From that moment forward the Holy Spirit launches another work that will follow Him from the rest, for the rest of His days. That work of the Holy Spirit is His work of growing us into the likeness and conformity with Jesus Christ. Or, sanctification. That work is a repeated, ongoing, up and down kind of thing. This work is not. This work is done. It is done, completed, and finalized. This work, however, continues to unfold over the life of the believer. He is, as a result of this, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit, meaning that we're safe, and therefore can take great comforts in the promise of Romans 8.1. And the evidence that this thing has been done is that this stuff begins to happen. All kinds of stuff. Um, in terms of bringing me more and more to look like the Savior who saved me. Now, that's the normal operation of the Spirit in the life of any believer. 
what you see happening in the New Testament with Peter and that Matthew 16 and John 20 and Acts 2, it is a result of redemptive history unfolding in his lifetime. Therefore, we have to step back and find out what his normal operation is, which I have just tried to describe, I hope, with some degree of clarity. So, having said all that, we go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 9, where we find these words. Any man who wants to lay claim to this glorious promise of chapter 8, verse 1, is a man who is not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If this hasn't happened, you don't belong to Jesus. But the evidence of this is having happened is that this, and it stops and it starts and its inconsistencies and its ups and its downs and its disappointments and its glories are all evidences that somewhere along the line, that took place. I had a grace group Sunday night, and there's a young woman that was sitting there just as cute as a bug's ear in my grace group. And um, um, we were talking about uh, when, when indeed did we come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And she said, well, you've really upset me. She said, for all of my life, I thought that happened to me when I was eight. But now I'm not so sure it might have happened to me eight years ago. Now, guys... It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it happened at 8 or at 28. The issue is, if that has happened, you are safe. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus or in the Spirit. They're the same thing. I hope that helps. Let's quit. Our Father, I do thank you for the glorious promises of this book and the wonderful provision of your Holy Spirit to understand it aright. And I pray that you will stop up the ears of your people if what has been said is not true to it. But if what has been spoken is true to your word, Father, I pray that your people will benefit and prosper and have some of the confusion sorted out for them so that they can move on to higher heights of holy living. We commit ourselves to do that, and we do so in the name of Christ Jesus, the Lord. Amen. Thank you, and good night.